Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey guys, it's Alex and Amanda. And we are here from Lady Audacity, ready to dive right into it. And this is a packed episode because we're covering two very big topics. The Byline Times investigation into the claims that Dan Wooten was paying for tidbits about Miss Meghan Markle during 2019 from allegedly Kristen Jones' partner. And we are talking about... What I would think is a disastrous Kenyan trip, but what the Western <laughs> media is telling us was an all-out knockout success. So again, a lot there. We literally have a page, a script of like 25 pages right now. It so was 31, right and then I, I sized everything down. It's a little more manageable. But yeah, this is, there's so much to dive into, and this is after we decided not to cover about half the things we wanted to talk about. <laughs> we're literally, we're like, Earthshot, Harry's, like, new jobs or whatever. Like, all, all other stuff just has to wait. We're just, yeah. we had to, guys. For the Byline Times investigation, the first questions, like, we started getting immediately was, who are these people? In terms of talking about Christian Jones and his partner. And I'm going to mm-hmm. say now, I'm just going to call his partner the partner. Maybe mm. I should give him a name. We'll call him Sam, actually. Kristen Jones' partner will be called Sam during this. There is a name floating around of who he is. I personally don't want to say it because I ain't trying to get sued. Like, let's not. And I yeah. know technically he is a private citizen. Simon Case is not because he's a public servant. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dan Wooten isn't because he's a journalist and now like a public figure. So that's why they yeah. can be named, why their faces aren't blurred. This is a do- an anti-doxing podcast for me. You know, yeah, this is, exactly. That's not a place I really want to go, given it's, my personal even history. Even with a piece of shit like this, yeah, uh-huh. it's just I'm, we're not comfortable with that. So we're just going to call this guy Sam, okay? So we don't have to say Christian's partner. So Perfect. let's start with Christian. Christian, he obviously we know him because he was a de- deputy communications secretary at Kensington Palace, and he was hired in 2018. 
overall, we know very little about Christian's background, which makes sense because usually we wouldn't know much about these people behind the scenes, whether it's the government or the royals. There is information I do wish we knew. Like, where did he fall? Where does he fall when it comes to like the class scale? We can we know for a fact he is an aristocrat mm-hmm. because he doesn't have a title attached to his name. But like, I would love to know: Are you upper middle class like the Middletons? Are you middle class? actual middle class like are you working class because he did go to cardiff university he graduated in 2011 with economics in economics and like honorary degrees that's not like an oxford or cambridge but still a very good university i think it's ranked at like top 22 in the Mm -hmm. uk so definitely something not cheap you know from there he went right into pretty much working for the government but 2016 is where he really got the really got a good job and i would think started popping up on the royals radar as in like Mm -hmm. one of their aides or something like that because he started working for like the brexit department pretty much Mm -hmm. officially department of exiting the european union he started as a speech writer and then he went over to dave davis's office and he was his press officer and David Davis was the Brexit secretary until he stepped back in July 2018. That's all. I literally That's almost went into that because <laughs> that is so fascinating. And somehow we will have to talk about Brexit because I think it'd be fun to also talk about Brexit aligning with what royal engagements were going on and stuff too. To yeah. And again, the Megan of it all during that time. Right. But, it's so interesting because you wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think like, okay, b- being a Brexit secretary, sure, it shouldn't s- disqualify anybody from a job. But the fact that the royals looked at that person who had that position and didn't like, didn't pass them over is interesting to me. Yes, like, they clearly ex- don't exactly. think that that's political enough to disqualify mm-hmm. someone from looking at them or working for them. That's that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> exactly. And the and the royals are political, okay? Mm-hmm. They they literally are hiring from certain, you know, political parties. Always from cert- a certain political party, by the way. Yeah. But anyways, so <laughs> when David steps back in July 2018, we see him also step back from that position, but he immediately goes to the Europe unit for six months as a senior policy advisor. He mm-hmm. leaves that position in December 2018. We know he was hired as the press secretary for Kensington Palace in 2018. So it was a bam, mm-hmm. bam, boom. And that's what I mean. He definitely, I would say, was on their radar by 2016. And an interesting yeah. tidbit I like to add about this is that people forget when he started at Kensington Palace, it was obviously for both um, the Duke and Duchess of Cameras and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but that only mm-hmm. lasted five months. He left in April 2019 and became only the communications secretary to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge from then on. Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This was all unofficially announced in January 2019 with that Sun exclusive. And it was like the pap walk with Megan looking cute as ever with Christian. (laughs) And everyone's like, who's this hot guy with her? And the Sun just so happened to break that story. Mm-hmm. Does Harry have to be worried? I think I remember that being one of them. It's like, y'all, they just <laughs> like, got married. I don't think he has to be worried. <laughs> and I just wanted to go a quick like rant on that because I remember that because first off, that was always billed as that was Megan's hire. Like, oh, Megan's mm. got a new press secretary. It wasn't until you got like a paragraph or two into the articles that it was like, oh, this is everyone's new secretary. But all right. of the headlines, everything was billed as her new secretary. And also, 
everyone used that pop lock as as evidence that Megan was too Hollywood and wanted mm-hmm. to be seen because everyone assumed she set that up. And I think mm-hmm. with everything that's coming out now and finding out about Christian and Sam's relationship with Dan Wu and their friendship, I think it's pretty obvious that was most likely set up by Christian and Dan. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, but it all got put on Megan's shoulders. God forbid a woman in a public facing role have a support staff. Like, hello. Right. It was, yeah, that was always just the way it was reported, I think, is foreshadowing to what ended up happening later on with things that weren't bad or presented to us. Just like this little bit of a tone that something insidious was going on because it's Megan. And Mm -hmm. it got worse later on. And we will see that, of course. Yeah. On to his partner. We know oftentimes his partner, we're calling Sam, is often referred to him as like his longtime per- partner. So I don't know how long they've been together, mm-hmm. but we definitely know in 2018 they were together. They were serious. Mm-hmm. They're in a serious relationship. We do know that he is a publicist in the entertainment field. It looks like definitely celebrities. And it mm-hmm. sounds like even like reality TV celebrities, all kinds of like that. And obviously, Dan, you guys, is a huge showbiz reporter before he got into the Royal Beat. Like, showbiz of the year, five times, you know, in a row, consecutive years that he has won that title for, I think it's like the British Media Awards or something like that. He's a go-to guy. He has a lot of power and he can make or break people's career. So Byline Times explains that, that in that 2018 period, when they have evidence that they were getting close, that Sam was an up and up-and-coming publicist and he knew that getting in good with dan could be really great for him and his clients mm-hmm. they quote it saying at the time they were they were quite a young publicist who had worked for a couple of the london agencies and were keen to get on their career dan knew this and made a point of including the publicist in his group beyond just seeing him at the usual premieres and television events where publicists and journalists tend to rub shoulders yeah, so and it sounds like a showbiz showbiz relationship, right? Like an industry mm-hmm. friendship, but also like, hey, you're going to be useful for me. Exactly. Totally normal. Which is like, I mean, I'm sure in a way it's like Omid obviously knew someone of someone who was working on Harry and Megan's team at some point. You know what I mean? Right. Just that so far is like normal. Temp check passed. You know what it's I mean? It's going to get real not normal real soon here. Very, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Very soon, you guys. Like literally this next paragraph. <laughs> so <laughs> the source that they're talking to is someone that I guess hung out around them and saw them out a lot. And he explains, or the source, he, she, they, them is explaining that this was very much a mutually beneficial beneficial relationship, though, because he's, again, Sam is able to help his clients be able to get things in the news that he wants to and to get things out of the news that his client does not want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, as the source says, Dan had a hell of a lot of power with the Murdoch press. Which, like, people, a lot of people take Dan Wooten and his quote-unquote reporting, his scoops as gospel and a serious journalism we are not some of those people but i think right here we're seeing that tension too between the way that the royals get reported on as this mix between celebrity gossip Mm. and actual like government political figures because yeah the the latter you would you would want a more nuanced reporter to be covering in any other sphere But since the royals have set up this weird media environment around them where they are only giving out statements, they're only handing reporters information, 
they're really yes. they act more like publicists for the royal family, like their their team, than they do like totally people who engage with ethical journalism. The the waters exactly. are so muddy here when you start mm-hmm. to think about like reporting and like the act of reporting on the royal family. I don't have a point Especially- there beyond. It's just so interesting. <laughs> It's it's so interesting, and I think people too forget if you look at who's on the royal beat, all of these not only are conservative media conservative media out, outlets, but they're royalist. Yeah. None of these outlets they will pick on these people. They will call them lazy sometimes. They'll be like, "Oh my god, you're such an eco hypocrite, Charles." Yeah, but they will never break them down because they are royalists at the end of the day. Right, tease and that's about the Rose and William thing, but they're never going to fully expose it because they can't expose the future king as yeah. a cheater. If he is, it's so, so like weird that said, it, it's, it's like a prerequisite to quote unquote reporting on the royals to support the royals, and that's not exactly. how. I just I need to remind people when this comes up that's not how journalism works. If, if you are a sycophant for the people you're reporting on, you should not be reporting on them. It's like saying like, Dumas stop. is like a serious journalist or something. Okay, <laughs> who runs their stuff through blinds and stuff. It's just no. Yeah. Some of this yeah. is fun and games, but unfortunately, and I think for especially if you're American, maybe you can kind of tell it apart. But I think mm-hmm. you know when you're in the UK ecosystem, this stuff is reported as news. You know, yeah. this is yeah. news. Period. This investigations is investigations news. And, right. Exactly. Right. That's why it makes me sad because when you do see some real journalism and a real investigation going on, like byline times, you see people trying to get like, a, well, it's just uh-huh. sources. I don't know. This isn't right. serious. I'm like, no, this is the kind of this is the kind of work that broke open the Me Too movement. This is actual yeah. journalism investigation. Like, do yeah. not denounce it because of the sun or something. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And and I think I'll touch on this later in the episode too, but this is what people people look at the byline times and they call them like trolls and they call them haters and they call them biased it's like no they're just reporting something you don't like and you are not used to seeing that because you're absorbing all your news from sycophants and i will say real quick too i think what you'll see from the whistleblowers who tried Mm -hmm. to get this all going it sounds like in 2019 when they saw it was going on to why bylines investigate byline times is even writing this article it's not because they have some attachment to harry and megan it's not even because they particularly feel bad for them it's because this is a great example of how the british media is corrupt and mm-hmm. all of the shady and illegal and things that should be illegal things that are going on behind the scenes that is yeah. why this is being reported and specifically for byline times it's again setting up how dan has been able to abuse his power because what we quickly find out with christian and sam one of the ways they're just kind of roped in is how dan once again has all of these perks from being so powerful at the sun you keep hearing about this box seats he has at the ot which i guess must be like an amazing place to see concerts because this is actually brought up previously when they're talking about how dan pretty much like courted someone at hr who's supposed to be investigating him sexually harassing a man you know so this seems to be like his thing i've got all these perks from the sun so you're going to be a part of my circle and you're going to be able to enjoy it we're going to go to soho house we're going to shoreditch house all of these things and this person, the source who was talking about this, is saying that Christian was there sometimes for this stuff, too. And that's how he got to know Dan through his partner and them all hanging out. And they said this would be happening in big groups or it would just be happening just them out and about. 
another really big thing that this byline times article brought to us was evidence not Mm -hmm. just sources but like actual evidence and one of the big ones was the photographic evidence that christian know that dan knows christian and his partner sam and i just have to read the beginning of this this intro because i thought it was just exceptionally shady and foreshadowing Mm -hmm. to one of the really big bombs that happens so byline Times says it's the friendship prince william's former right-hand man simon case concluded simply didn't exist and yet here are one-time royal press secretary christian jones and his publicist partner huddling together for an intimate celebratory photograph with cash for leaks journalist dan (laughs) wooten okay Mm -hmm. like i said the white man shade is just exceptional throughout (laughs) yeah they presented us an instagram photo from dan's instagram i mean we've got you can see his icon the check mark it's got the location the ned london and it's a date which is so important oh yes a date march 11 2018 you guys so this is what six months before he's hired at kp so March 11, 2018, we have this photo of Dan with 20 of his closest friends on Instagram. The caption is, celebrating with my incredible friends, three hearts, you all. Christian is on the very left side. They're like three people. He's three people away from Dan. And next to him, yeah. blurred out, is his partner. Yeah. So this was described by a source as a party that was very intimate with his closest friends and that pretty much Dan went all out hiring like a private dining room. And then they all hit the town together afterwards going to the shore ditch, which I guess is very like exclusive club. Sure. And Dan paid for everything. So again, being friends with Dan, you get major perks. Yeah. And I will also say, too, I remember when this originally broke in 2021, when the byline investigates came out about the letter before action. Mm-hmm. I remember, I can't, you guys, I have like 27,000 screenshots in my images, <laughs> and I will find this, I promise. But someone had a screenshot that his partner followed Dan on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and everyone being like, oh, okay, well, here we go. Mm-hmm. I will find it, you guys. But I also remember that piece of evidence. So there is a couple things linking them all together. Yeah. And in that byline investigation report, remember with the legal letter, that's when we find out Harry is saying he has information that they paid up to 4,000 pounds for a single story, two different stories in June and July 2019 about the nannying and the godparents. And they were mm-hmm. able to identify this because of an internal New Ye- News UK accounting code. Whoop. People forget that that like payments like that get tracked, which is just crazy. Yes. A freelance publicist whose partner is a palace aide. Okay. Yes. Thank you. That's kind of big because again, I got to give a shout out to Sussex squad, the way they can (laughs) investigate. Okay. Because that in the original article from 2021, no one is named. They don't name Christian. They just say it was like a palace aides partner. But everyone, and that was part of the big deal of them finding out that they were like hanging out with Dan and following him because it was like, oh my gosh, it's Christian Jones. Because I think people mm-hmm. thought maybe it was Jason Knopf at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in that, what was also a really big interesting tidbit was that Dan didn't deny that there was payment sent. He only denied right. that they weren't illegal. 
<laughs> That's a Which big I love. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? Christian Jones, another big thing that happened is Christian Jones ended up coming out and denying it wasn't him, which was interesting because no one named him and no one else from their staff came out to say, that's not me. Jason mm-hmm. Knopf didn't. Simon Case didn't. It was only Christian Jones who came out to say, hey, this isn't me. And obviously it's because his name was really, really the only one being thrown around. Well, but yeah. And I speak. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, I, I think that speaks to like the way that the, I'm thinking about palace aides and like publicity teams and PR people like their goal is to never become a subject of the story themselves. But the fact yes. that Christian Jones like probably was absorbing all of this talk and seeing his name come up. But also maybe, maybe, allegedly, like knowing on his end, like, even if he didn't do anything, even if he didn't do mm-hmm. anything, he has this partner and he and his partner are friendly with Dan. Like, those things to me are established at this point. So like, if you need to cover your ass, cover your ass. That's fine. Nothing against that. Yeah. But you, looking at the context of the situation, I think like, we can start to see these pieces fall into place here. Exactly. This is when it starts getting shady because, yeah. example again, if Omid was hanging out with, right. um, I don't know, Samantha, that was, I think, Kate, oh Megan's like private yeah, secretary. Her niece or and something. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Like they're yeah. going out to dinners. They're not just seeing each other when they're at engagements or something like that, but they're literally going out to dinners and partying together. That would be a huge issue. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, or like someone from again, the Archwell Foundation. Yeah. Exactly. And we're talking about this ecosystem. It is like messed up because I remember when the Royal Rota would talk about how they would go out and have drinks with Harry and William and Harry and William would be like, hey, I didn't like that. You wrote this story about me. And then they would have to defend themselves and so on. Like, so sorry. (laughs) That's my alarm to start the royal chat on Instagram. If you are not a subscriber, we have daily group chats. Get in there. Oh, and I do I love yeah, and her subscription stories are amazing, you guys. Something we will be talking about eventually, <laughs> one of them. But anyways, so yeah, sorry. it's just it's weird and it's corrupt. And one of the really big things that's happening too in the byline times is they are mapping out this timeline of how all these things begin to overlap. Because mm-hmm. once we know that William that Christian pretty much is going to be, let's say, team William and Kate, not team Harry and Megan. Mm-hmm. They explain that's when also like Dan's parasocial relationships with these royals flip. I'm going to read that one of a former friend said about Wooten and his feelings about like William and so on. Mm-hmm. A former friend of Wooten's told Byline Times that the journalist's allegiance appeared to quickly shift from one prince to another. Dan hated Prince William until around May 2019, they said. Behind closed doors, he didn't have a good word for him. He was always talking about his attitude, but Dan never criticized Harry, really. He never seemed to have much interest at all. Then suddenly in the summer of 2019, he switched. Basically, he was hating on Harry and Meghan. He had previously been obsessed with Prince William, and then he switched to the, Sus- the Sussexes. again. April, we know that Christian left working for Harry and Meghan and only began working for William and Kate. This mm-hmm. source is saying a month later in May, suddenly Dan loves William, hates Harry and Meghan. So interesting. I'm just saying, yeah. That's why it gets shady. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. why. One of the reasons why. And that's also after Christian solely began working for William and Kate. In April, two months later is when the first story in June drops where they're saying there was a payment made. And the first Mm -hmm. was a nanny story. And it is titled Nanny McThree, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry to get 
through three nannies in six weeks for baby Archie. That's Dan Wooten, June 20, June 28, 28. 2019. Yep. yep. And then there's the July story a month later. Top secret. Meghan Markle's pals are bookies favored to be Archie's godparents while Prince Harry is behind ban on names. Dan Wooten, July 5th, 2019. And real quick, like I always found interesting about these is that these head- headlines use Meghan's image and usually her name. Like mm-hmm. the top secret one, it's Megan. It's a photo of Megan and her friends. And then in a small circle is a photo of Megan and Harry and baby Archie. Mm-hmm. And then you have Megan Markle's pals where they, yeah. and then, but you look into the articles and they're not scathing against them. Honestly, right. a lot of them is just telling us this factual information that, Hey, yes, they, even though, there's a law for every other commoner peasant out there that this information has to be public for the Royal family. There's a different law. Unfortunate, but that's just the truth of it. And they also through a source say that everyone thinks like this is Megan who's demanding all of this, but it's actually Harry. He wants Mm -hmm. this to be private. He wants Archie to be a private citizen. But again, it's always Megan's face and name used for these stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like with the nanny story, which I don't even remember, honestly, because I, I was in the UK at the time, like kind of, I know oh. I wasn't, I'm getting my timeline mixed up, but I had friends <laughs> in the UK who were just like so excited about mm-hmm. the royal baby being born. Like there wasn't this appetite at that time for like broadly yeah. for people to be hating on Meghan and Harry. And like you, you have this little clip from the article here where there is like this piece where Dan's even writing like sympathetic Royal sources have explained the choice of nanny is highly personal and the couple might just want to get it right. And it's making me think about like how it's so easy for spin to be placed on a story like this, where like a source is talking about Harry and Meghan do not want to rush this or take any risks getting this decision, right? It's deeply personal and can depend on the needs of the baby and the parents. And I'm thinking, what if you inserted Will and Kate's, name in there you know Mm -hmm. what if this source was talking about charlotte having three nannies in in six weeks the only thing Mm, that would be different would be the headline but like that's what people read that's what people are picking up and absorbing gosh and that was such an issue in 2019 it was like did you read the article yeah kind of like what we were seeing early too with the christian jones like how he was introduced and it was like the papak with megan and megan's press secretary again that kind of like maybe there shouldn't be anything insidious about this but also the way they can tell us and present us this information can be because that nanny one during the end of it you kind of see the kicker where it says in january megan's female bodyguard department after six months assistant mm-hmm. private secretaries amy pickerel and heather wong had left in recent weeks and then the cherry on top mary yeah. Teresa turian barallo became william and kate's nanny in 2014 when prince george was eight months old very mm-hmm. clearly letting us know william and kate can keep a nanny they've only had one since 2014 but how many have they had how many turnovers has there let's been? not you even know, talk about story let's not even <laughs> talk about the staff turnover in will and kate's offices let's not even go yeah. there but, oh my god yeah. yeah one day we will go there because it makes me so <laughs> mad because i'm like they lost so many people in 2019 and people have no clue <laughs> yeah but so the issue is clearly not just like what information is this person getting handed but what are they deciding to do with it and what might be motivating them to do that why is dan Wooten exactly. suddenly deciding to keep one royal couple on his good side and throwing the other one to the wolves like that's so interesting and 
you know, we've talked yeah. uh, in the past with the timeline of Dan Wooten turning on Harry and Meghan and like hushing up the Rose Hanbury story. Like that's another aspect of this. That's a big aspect. <laughs> too, yeah. Which we like don't that's- physically don't have time to get into, but <laughs> Yeah, again, I promise you guys, especially with the Patreon, we plan on getting into all of these little all of these little things along the way because they bring up a couple articles I would mm-hmm. I want to dig into. And I also want to <laughs> dig into the fact that it was a common feeling that Dan had of not liking William. As far as we know, that was a common feeling among the royal bee before mm-hmm. Megan came into the picture. People often referred refer preferred Harry, not William. So trust me, we will get into that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So one of the things they go on, so this is stuff is happening and it seems on pretty early on, someone had picked up on this. And this is another big, big piece of this is emails. They are quoting the emails to us. We have heard about, but we have never seen. Because Mm -hmm. again, in that legal letter in 2021, Harry makes it clear that he has people in high places that have seen this stuff and know that this is happening for a fact. Mm -hmm. And we learn a little bit about who those people are. And it sounds like a couple of our like former colleagues of Dan Wooten's. And one of them is a friend of a colleague of Dan Wooten's. And that in 2019, they were going to Buckingham palace, the Scotland yard or the Met police. And they're going to Nick Davies. Who's a former guardian journalist. And one of the people who like really broke open a lot of these, you know, cash for leaks and hacking mm-hmm. scandals and one of the big things that they reveal and nick davies says this okay i'm just gonna read this it's a little long guys but i think it's worth the read because i know mm-hmm. not everyone has access to this article he says i am retired but i still got approached with stories two or three times a week and have to say no to them he said but this email was clearly important there was a clear public interest if there had been mis misfe- misfeasance by a public official It was important and there was clearly a chance that what was being said was true. So I boasted it into the hands of people with power. First, Davies reached out to lawyers for the Duke of Sussex, who also passed the information on to Neil Basu. I was in the middle and I admitted I had no idea if what the email said was true, Davies added. It was detailed information, but the truth was not clear. The police needed some kind of evidence put before a judge to get a warrant to go to Buckingham Palace and search Christian Jones records and those at the Sun. They needed to meet the source to get a sworn statement or some other form of sworn evidence. I urged them, the anonymous whistleblower, to meet the police who were willing to do so off the record, but the source would not come forward. So mm-hmm. first off, can you all imagine if we <laughs> woke up and there was a news story about how there was a search warrant to search the private secretary of William and Kate's um, records? For collaborating, yeah. co- collaborating <laughs> with the sun. I'm just, I want people to picture that and know exactly why it didn't happen. Right. Other than the fear. And also why these people were so afraid. Because obviously they bring up Dan, which makes me really, really sad. Because they make it clear in this article that these people were terrified of what Dan would do to them if they found out that they were spreading, they were going to be, you know, whistleblowers on him. Mm-hmm. And that again is established throughout Byline Times investigation about his alleged catfish scandals and paying people and then blackmailing them with these videos that he takes. Them right. With. It just says a lot about the environment the sun was allowing. And then you will find out later on the fact that William and Kate hired someone who was willing to play ball with this kind of piece of shit. It says mm-hmm. 
a lot of bad things. That's all I'm going to say there. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, so, it's frustrating uh, <laughs> to say the least. Very frustrating. Yeah. Very frustrating. They can't get the search warrant, but they do give us the emails of who they were sending out. So one of the first emails they says, if a journalist is using someone's partner to pay Prince William's PR for information about his own brother and sister-in-law, that shouldn't happen. They add, someone in editorial started questioning why stories that were on the front page that weren't on the front page were getting thousands of pounds in fees. Mm. Sorry. Mm. My friend says something, someone saw a string of payments within a few weeks to the publicist, publicist Jones partner about Royals and then asked who this person was. They couldn't understand why showbiz PR would have had that kind of knowledge. Mm, mm, mm. And also I know people maybe ask like, why does Dan care about this and money, 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 money. Okay. Yeah. And Megan, it was clear. She was a money maker mm-hmm. and the hate industry around her was going to be just as much of a money maker. Like someone has said before, Hating Megan is a billion dollar industry at this point. Yeah. And they and saw I, the cha-chings early on. <laughs> and I think this time period is so crucial for Dan Wooten as a person and as a quote unquote professional, because this is what yes. I'm not saying this is what put him on the map, but these scoops like him or hate him. Mm-hmm. They're accurate information. You know, yeah. the fact that he's getting handed this information or is paying for this information, allegedly, that doesn't really matter mm-hmm. if what you're putting on the page, like, can then spark a conversation. Because exactly. all publicity is good publicity. And f- people forget, like, Dan Wooten, he's not just a, a a writer, a journalist. He's also a talking head. He had his, mm-hmm. I forget what show he was on, but he was on a couple of them. So it's, yeah, 3,000, 4,000 yeah. pounds it might be like kind of small potatoes in this world, but it's what that opens up the door to. I think that is also important. Exactly. I mean, you could say Megxit got him his GB news position that confirmed yeah. that he could be that guy. That was huge. Okay. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. A little more of what they're saying. Posing as a son's worker friend, the author wrote to Davies, I understand you're now retired from journalism. Perhaps this is not of interest to you directly. You might wish to pass it on to someone capable if you think it's worthwhile. I have no wish to be in- involved because I would fear for the safety and well-being of my loved ones. You played a pivotal role in exposing wrongdoing at News International. The company, now News UK, claims to be the cleanest media company in the world. It is not. I will give you one example. See where it leads. Mm-hmm. And then we have the yeah. next informant. I think this one's really important because they say he worked there for a short time, but he had access to the payment system. And he right. seems to be the one who tracked down the the tracking number of what was going mm-hmm. on. <clears throat> yeah. I could read the email he sent. To. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So this person sent an email. Let's see here. He said, everyone at the sun had to ha- now has to go undergo a strict training to avoid corrupt payments. But at the sun, they are circumventing this. I know that this because there is one case involving one of the top editors, Dan Wooten, that has been hushed up. The impression my friend gave is that only a few people within the sun know about it. They've told me before that when the connection was made between Christian Jones, Sam, the partner, mm. and Jones, there was a real sense of panic because Wooten is so powerful within that office. He deals directly with chief executive Rebecca Brooks. He has his own radio show. He's forced out a lot of people as he's moved up through the organization. He's tried and succeeded to get people sacked. He is that powerful. Yeah. 
And we know, you know, from their previous reporting about all these people that he has gotten sacked. And I think that's what's so interesting about this. It's like they were reporting on that because of the catfish stuff. But we have emails from 2019 talking about that power that they have, alleged power that they have exposed that he had in that 2019 because he was just at the climax of his power at the side. So Mm -hmm. it's really scary what that they allowed. But what gets even scarier is, is they have all of these evidence of the payments going through. They have the tracking number and they have the evidence. The son decides I'm burying my head in the sand we're not really going to look into this because again, it's making them so much money. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have to go through all the details because it's kind of, we've given you a general idea of like what those payments entailed, but this particular informant also writes, the information was very detailed and questions were asked very discreetly internally about why the amounts paid were suddenly so high about stories possibly involving public officials, which is a big red flag at News UK now. The answer, it was quickly established, was that the publicist, Sam, is the partner of Will and Kate's press secretary, Christian Jones. So it seems that there was some understanding at the news organization that this relationship existed. The informant goes on, by the company's own updated rules, any suspicion of a payment to a public official should be flagged up immediately to lawyers. The reason I'm contacting you is that this didn't happen. I have no reason why, although given the seniority of the journalist and the panic it would cause internally, perhaps that is sufficient explanation. (laughs) Yes. And... And they go on to pretty much confirm that's what happens. The email, one of the other emails says, people internally on editorial started getting suspicious about the scale of payments made by Wooten, looked at it. Someone did some research and found the connection between Jones and his partner, presented it to the same senior execs, who then recoiled in horror at what had been found and stuck their heads in the sand without taking it further. It added, basically, they said, yep. Anyway, let's move on. It's a great story by Dan. I don't think there's any desire to push for it to be investigated. I think the view internally is to let sleeping dogs lie and hope no one will, no one ever makes a connection independently. <laughs> and obviously, well, that did happen, thankfully. And yeah. we know that by the time that Buckingham Palace gets the information, they are pretty much forced to they're forced to look into it because Harry's going to sing send a legal letter mm-hmm. before action. Mm-hmm. And Kensington Palace by BP's like Kensington Palace, you need to look into this. So Simon Case is on the case. What does he call him? Is he the weasel or the bee? I think he's the bee. Oh, little gosh, bee. I forget. <laughs> a little bee. <laughs> they talked to they by Lightning Times says that they've talked to several anonymous sources that were close to the matter which I'm guessing is an investigation. And what mm-hmm. they're pretty much saying is that this happened, they're saying it was supposed to be in death or that's what they pretty much presented it as. But Simon Case just seemed to take Christian for his word, mm-hmm. which is why you have that shade from that Instagram post because they're saying on March 11, 2018, there was proof of a friendship. Yeah. But... Christian Jones is telling him, oh, okay. And again, too, in 2021, when Christian Jones made the statement that, hey, this is not me, I never sold information, nor did my partner, he said he didn't know who Dan Wooten was. This anonymous source is saying, though, when Simon Case investigated him. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, I'm putting up the little quotations here. <laughs> yeah. Investigated him. He said that he did know Dan, so I'm going to mm-hmm. read from the article. So he says, quite a long and involved process resulted from Prince Harry's lawyers sending a letter before action to the sun, one source said. Of course, Christian had to be questioned by his bosses about it. He said that, yes, he had known Dan for a while, but that he did not know him very well and that Prince William's courtiers, were who appointed him, didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> hmm. Okay, yeah. I, I had to read that with a little extra oomph. <laughs> And then they go on to say, Christian also told them that this partner had indeed been paid by the son at at the time stated in the whistleblower emails and for the amounts described, but that the money related to stories about clients his partner represented in the work as a publicist and and was nothing to do with Prince Harry and Meghan. One of Hmm. his partner's clients supposedly had the same name as the Duchess of Sussex. There was the suggestion that this was the reason for some of the money paid and that the timing was just a fluke. On that basis, Christian faced no further action. It really, to me, it it sounds like this story was convenient enough that the palace was just like, okay, that's fine. Exactly. They knew like, (laughs) oh, this is probably bullshit. But again, I'm not going to look into it. If our toes get held to the fire, I can say, hey, Christian told us this convincing story. He lied to us. We're victims too. Because that's what it's giving. That's the setup it feels like here. Yeah. Um, And so then the article really fun about this. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say it's the spare reference. Yeah. Because it's spare. During the Sandringham, I am I saying that right? I don't know why I Sandringham that one. Sandringham, thank you. Yeah. During the Sandringham summit, when Harry is writing about this in the book, which was what this was the beginning of 2020, like January 2020, going into February. This is when they're setting up. Okay, you guys get to have a half in, half out deal, and there's going to be a 12 month transitional period. Which I have a note here that I said awful idea because surely Harry, why did you think your family? We'll let you all have 12 months of freedom. I mean, okay, but hey, he's in a cult. He's in a cult. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so after, yeah, like, right? Because you guys remember, K- Megan's in Canada. The news has broken. People know they plan on leaving and they're trying to flesh out the details. And I guess the promise is, fine, you guys get 12 months of a transitional period of half in, half out. You get to retain your security. And in that 12 months, we're going to pretty much flesh out these details and tell the public about it then. So mm-hmm. after the summit ends, it's suggested that him and William should go outside and take a walk to cool their heads because they have been just fuming at each other and fighting. Mm-hmm. So they go outside and he says this is when he brings up this information he has. 
Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to read from Spare. I was struck again by the beauty of it all. As in the stateroom, I felt as if I've never seen a palace before. These gardens, I thought they're paradise. Why can't we just enjoy them? I was mm-hmm. raced for a lecture. It didn't come. Willie was subdued. He wanted to listen. For the first time in a long time, my brother heard me out. And I was so grateful. I told him about one past staff member sabotaging Megan, plotting against her. I told him about one current staff member whose close friend was taking payments for leaking private stuff to the press about Megan and me. My sources on this were above reproach, including several journalists and baristas. Plus, I made a visit to New Scotland Yard. Willie frowned. He and Kate had their own suspicions. He'd look into it. We agreed to keep talking. We now know an investigation happened, but they sided with Christian. It's truly chilling. And once again, I don't care how you feel about Harry. Honestly, I don't like the man half the time. Okay, (laughs) But it is genuinely heartbreaking to me how much trust he has had in his family solely because they're a family when they should have showed him time and time again you are a spare and you will be treated that way yeah again we saw that the fact that he is handling this as a family issue and it just it keeps coming out that william and charles are treating it as a family business issue and that's so heartbreaking um because the byline times article concludes christian faced no further action he retained the confidence of kensington palace and later on had a couple of big promotions um yeah because it was that year he became william's private mm -hmm. secretary i think yeah so it's not just that he he didn't even get reprimanded he got rewarded exactly and remember jason knopf has been literally given a medal so I just yeah. like keeping this in mind when we try to pretend like William and Kate are innocent and maybe they're just bad managers and that's all this yeah. is. There's evidence to prove there's way more to that. And uh, in this article, yeah. they present us that. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, again, there's so much information here. We're going to save that for our next ep- episode at the end of this month to talk yeah. directly about the evidence they have about how the Royals responded and pretty much place Megan and Harry in a situation that I think can remind anyone of an abusive relationship. Unfortunately, Yeah. Cause like rereading that passage from spare now, like a year after the book, well, almost a year after the books come out, I'm reading like new context into it where those, the summits, the conversations that happened where there was really no satisfactory conclusion for Harry. I think Harry gets left with this, like, well, the sense of, well, what was the point? I think the point for Will and Kate, for Charles and Camilla was to let him talk and like learn more about him almost even to get the information that he had from his sources from his visits to the police like to find out almost what he knew which is so insidious because they wanted to contain him i think they wanted to contain him yeah like oh yeah yeah let's play this game we care harry we care because they knew Harry was a loose cannon at that point, yeah. which we know just from him deciding to comment on Dan Wooten's Megxit story. They could have not commented and just let that go away and then right. on their own time announced it. But I absolutely believe Harry took advantage of that and said, you know, you all keep doing this to us. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play your game now and I'm just going to pull the trigger on No this. contact. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It, it's it's really sad. And you will see how they are able to prove just how insidious this got for Megan and Harry and how just yeah. even... I mean, we will definitely do something for Spare when the anniversary comes up because just how mm. he explains that summit and what was happening, mm-hmm. it was trickery all the way. Because I think another big aspect for them too is for them to be able to say, hey, we tried to work with them. Hey, well, we gave them options, you guys, but he just wants to act like a brat, you know? And 
even after, I'm glad Harry waited. When when Queen Elizabeth passed away, I'm glad Harry waited for the release of his book so he could add that little epilogue yes. in almost, where he talks about after the funeral, the first, or after or before the funeral, when he arrives back in the UK, the first thing his family asks him is about his lawsuits and like, what's going on there? Just... Hello? <laughs> like, they think they're being slick and I don't think they oh, are. Oh my gosh. And also, before we transition to Kenya, we have to leave this with saying shout out to Harry and Elton John and all the other claimants. Oh my gosh, it's official. Yes. They're going to court, you guys. They're taking, yeah, this is the yeah. mirror, I'm pretty sure. They're taking the mirror to court for claims of hacking during like the late 90s. It's going to court. Yeah. This is huge. And once again, I'm seeing this on Twitter outside of the Royal Fold being talked about because people are saying, hey, guys, look, finally, once again, maybe there is a chance for us to expose how toxic the British media system is and maybe just maybe mm-hmm. a chance to try to change that. So now, yay on the funniest <laughs> part of this is it is a victory. The Daily Mail spin yeah. doctors are already earning their Christmas bonus. <laughs> the headline today. Are you ready? The headline about oh, the, the lawsuit being able to move forward. Major setback for Prince Harry and Sir Elton John privacy case. As the judge rules, they cannot use confidential information supplied to Levison inquiry. So the news is that they can take the case to court. But the Daily Mail is focusing on the judge also ruling that there was significant public interest in preventing the claimants from deploying confidential documents in their case. Oh, my God. So that's and, where they're and, choosing to focus. And obviously, we'll go more into this, reason. but... That is my, yeah. my, my, that was the first I saw it. I was like, wait, no, I'm pretty sure he won this. <laughs> right. And, and the people who so are funny. only going to read the headliner and be like, ah, that Harry, he's just going to, he got what he deserved. Loser. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So <laughs> it's fun. Very unserious people in the British media. <laughs> yes. And also, speaking yeah. of losers, Charles and Camilla. <laughs> don't. Don't. <laughs> They're trying their best. Yeah, All right. Camille's a farming sitting in the car. Listen, oh my gosh. I didn't even like, we can, we can get into it. So yeah, there this is somehow old news by now, even though it was just a week ago. But Charles and Camilla, they did their first state visit to a Commonwealth nation of his reign. It was a four day state visit to Kenya, where they visited a few different places from Tuesday, October 31st to Friday, November 3rd. So state visits, if you follow me on TikTok, we talk about this every time there is one. There's always a few goals when we go into state visits. The royal family they name them whenever they announce. They say, specifically here, they're undertaking a state visit to Kenya to celebrate the warm relationship between the two countries. That's always a given. Um, And the strong and dynamic partnership they continue to forge. The visit comes as Kenya prepares to celebrate 60 years of independence. Then they underline that Charles' first visit to the Commonwealth... Oh, I'm sorry, that this is his first visit to a Commonwealth nation and that it is to the country where Queen Elizabeth became queen where she mm, found out that her father mm. had died and sh- her reign officially began. So they're so underlining the symbolism here. <laughs> what was that? You said so sentimental. <laughs> right. Sem- symbolism, sentimentality, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's also a business trip to them, to the British. And we'll get into like what it looks like to other people, but the, the Royal family also, they underline that The visit will, quote, reflect the ways in which Kenya and the United Kingdom are working together to boost mutual prosperity, tackle climate change, promote youth opportunity and employment, advance sustainable development, and create a more stable and secure region. 
So there are these like big lofty goals here, (laughs) which you always have that language when we go into a state visit, because there are like diplomatic concerns. There are meetings that happen. There are discussions of trade agreements and economic links and all of that stuff. But what does the world see is always my question. Mm -hmm. Like, what are are we taking away from this visit just by observing it? And I think that's two, those are two very different things, right? Because what Charles is getting out of the visit, what Kenya is getting out of the visit and what the public (laughs) is getting out of it. Very, very different. Mm -hmm. And even like, what is the Kenyan government getting out of it versus the Kenyan citizens too? Right. Big difference. Always a big difference. Because governments uh, and the people. You know, going into the state visit, you had people, royalists, who were very excited about it, about the celebrations of the links between the two countries. And whenever I use that Mm -hmm. language in my TikToks, I always get people like, that's a funny way of saying that they were colonized. It's like, true. That is that is a funny (laughs) way of saying that. That's Um, the relationship. (laughs) But both of those things are true somehow, right? There are these strong cultural ties. There are also like, very, very strong moments of pain from the past. Um, So all of that is going into this trip. Um, And I also, sorry, just real quick, I think that's also an important thing too of how this stuff is modernized, though, this type of language. You know what I mean? Like they colonized them, but now we talk about that history as a friendship. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? How there's so much growth for us. And like we just had some angst and like we came back together. You know what I mean? Like enemies yeah. to friends or enemies to lovers type of trope. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. But it sounds better that way. It sounds great yeah. in the press releases, you know? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Speaking of press releases, way down at the bottom of the press release and the webpage about this visit, the royal family goes on, the palace. The King and Queen's program will celebrate the close links between the British and Kenyan people in areas such as the creative arts, technology, enterprise, education, and innovation. Then in the same paragraph, there's not even a line break. This visit will also acknowledge the more painful aspects of the UK and Kenya's shared history, including the emergency, 1952 to 1960. His Majesty will take time during the visit to deepen his understanding of the wrongs suffered in this period by the people of Kenya. So I think right there, too, like that whole paragraph is very frustrating. But right there, you have a little bit of the the motivations for Charles, too, right? Like, it's a bit of image building for him, which we're going to get into. Mm -hmm. But also he gets to boost all of these causes that he wants to have associated with his reign. So like, And that runs the gamut from being the king who listens and learns about these painful histories to like the climate change activist, which is his number one thing, I would say. Um, Yes. I mean, even Camilla on this trip gets some FaceTime with her pet charity causes. She visited a library. Literacy is one of her causes. And she visited, I think, two sexual and gender-based violence charities, charities that support victims. Yeah. You There's know. so much getting packed in here. Um, a lot, a lot yeah. got packed. Holy crap! Yeah. And these people are old. I gotta give them credit, man. They do I mean, a lot during this these yeah. three to four days. Oh they my do goodness. multiple visits a day, multiple outfit changes a day. Which, like, good luck even getting me to do that. And I'm 28, you know. <laughs> and like, I know um, Camille's hurting. Camille's hurting. Oh my gosh, we're not going to see her for like a month, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Once she's done with all of the Remembrance Day things, I think she's going on a retreat. Yeah. And it's Um, kind of (laughs) well-deserved. Well, debatable. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually, I know I said that, and I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> so Charles and Camilla, the big, big thing for any state visit is, is a state dinner, a banquet, something. And this is normally when people are like, ooh, what tiaras are going to get worn, right? There were no tiaras, which applause, applause, like yeah, good on Camilla good for call. knowing. Yeah. Good that call. You yeah. didn't want to put a tiara on to, to have a state dinner at Nairobi house. But oh, they, oh they also recognized that a state dinner is their chance to make this statement that everyone is looking for. The mm. Kenyan Human Rights Commission issued an open letter calling for an apology for how the history of British and Kenyan interests have like harmed, actively harmed Kenyans. So that was the context going into this. People wanted an apology for Britain colonizing and subjugating Kenya, even though it was in the past. We're talking about the 1950s and 60s, right? It's not not that far in the past. So here's what Charles ended up saying in his his address at um, the state dinner. He said, it is the intimacy of our shared history that has brought our people together. However, we must also acknowledge the most painful times of our long and complex relationship. The wrongdoings of the past are a cause of the greatest sorrow and deepest regret. There were they were abhorrent, I'm sorry. There were abhorrent and justifiable acts of violence committed against Kenyans as they waged a painful struggle for independence and sovereignty, and for that there can be no excuse. <laughs> and here's the thing. <laughs> to some people, <laughs> I could understand how you hear that and you say, okay, he apologized. He did not apologize. (laughs) Abhorrent and justifiable, unjustifiable acts of violence committed against Kenyans. By who? Uh, They waged a painful struggle against who? The British is the answer. (laughs) It's, it's, I think too, like you guys, if these are the the apologize the apologies you're receiving and accepting stop you need it. to accept you better stop it expect right now. better okay yeah. exactly yeah you deserve better there is yeah. no i am sorry and not once yeah. does he say what he's sorry about he's right. and i think too what really just frustrates me is the way this is talked about too as if and this is a shared sorrow and a shared pain no mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. absolutely not it is not shared they're not on the same playing field and they did not play the same roles in this. So yes. I hate that it's like this like kumbaya, like we're into, this is a group project. It's like, no, this was a group project for like right. white aristocrats and the government to like kill these black and brown people because God forbid they wanted independence from a government that was doing nothing for them, but like right. sucking the soul out of them and their resources. It's just- right. It's gross. And this is 2023. Like, I know the Kenyans have to be sitting here and they're saying this. Like, do you think we're stupid? Do mm-hmm. you think we're stupid? Like, it, yeah. it's offensive to my intelligence at this point. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned that because specifically, let's get specific, like the wrongs suffered that he's talking about. Um, it's what's mm-hmm. known as the emergency or the Mau Mau Rebellion, um, which was yeah. led by mostly, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, mostly the key. Kikuyu people against British colonial rule, specifically like Britons occupying Kenya and and claiming, you know, at the time, Queen Elizabeth II was considered Queen of Kenya. So the the emergency is the rebellion against that. So it seems like the the shared shared pain that Charles is referring to. It's not only because of, in his mind, Britain occupying, but also because there was this opposition inside of Kenya to independence. Mm. There were these Kenyans who 
preferred not to rebel to stick with the status quo and they were also targeted um in the mau mau rebellion which i think is important to note history it's not black and white there is a lot of nuance to be had here but the rebellion itself um the rebellion itself was met with a an extraordinarily violent crackdown the british in the 1950s this is the 1950s this is not the 1800s an estimated 11,000 rebels and others were killed that's the official estimate, according to the BBC. Jeez. Unofficial numbers and estimates say that there were as many as 90,000 Kenyans who were executed and over 150,000 who may have been detained, which is Entire mind-boggling. Wiped out, you know? Right, wiped yes. Out. And like this and, is too, when they were building the concentration camps for Kenyans and so on, like what he is just passively talking about and refusing to right. say I'm sorry for is right. genuinely horrendous, horrendous war crimes and like <sighs> against humanity. Yeah. It's Which, so bad. I'm going to read you Charles words again. Um, the yeah, wrongdoings of the past are a cause of the greatest sorrow and the deepest regret. There were abhorrent and unjustifiable acts of violence committed against Kenyans as they waged a painful struggle for independence and sovereignty. And for that, there can be no excuse. Um, so <sighs> Charles... He has claimed, and I, I have more of his words that we can get into, but he's claiming he wants to understand, he wants to learn and develop develop his um, comprehension of this. But whoever's written this speech for him has intentionally chosen to write it in passive voice, saying not yeah. we committed acts, but acts were committed, mm-hmm. but also historical voice, which I think is interesting. The the speech, the address makes it sound like these things happened in a time and place that is so removed from where we are now. And that's just not true. Charles was alive when this was happening, right? Like he was a child, but he was alive. This is within one lifetime. And that on top of focusing on the things happening to Kenyans, not being done by the British. So there, even as we're trying to like grapple with this and he says he wants to deepen his understanding there's still this divide and this wall almost being put up that is preventing us from, I think, fully, fully grappling with like the, the impact that this period in history had. And th- I'm sorry, the relation that people still living have to those actions and the yeah. way that they are still benefiting from that period. And I think too, it also points to once again, how the Royals can't like talk about how they were on the right side of history. They can't say, Hey, they the we were trying to tell the government, like we shouldn't do this. We should let them be free. Like that's not happening. And we know it's not happening because they would bring it up. So right. instead, this is what they do. Like there's a whole section of this speech where he's talking about, you know, the British Royal family's relationship with Kenya. He's talking about how William loves his places where William mm-hmm. and Kate got engaged. He talks about how his, how his mother came out of that tree as queen when she visited in 1950s, but is also not mentioning why she was there during the 1950s, which would have right. been because of this uprise. And again, just this, diplomatic trying to charm a fencer you know the country out of it type of stuff none of this stuff is mentioned so it's like all of this listening and learning is once again all around their privileges and what they're comfortable with yes and it's just so insidious because this is like real life these Mm -hmm. are real people and when they do this too it's also another way for the british government and the british and the western world in general to 
just forget and continue to be ignorant to how much we have affected continents like Africa with slavery Mm -hmm. to this day. Mm -hmm. Like, they are completely gutted in many ways, like economically and socially. And Mm -hmm. we get to just say, gosh, these dang like black people in their skirts and living in their huts just can't get it together. Like say those Asian folks without mentioning the fact, no, they can't do this because the way that these countries still colonize them, France, Britain, us, we just continue to colonize them, even though they're not in, you know, chains anymore. I mean, what's going on with Congo right now? western Mm -hmm. like we got blood on our hands that's us we help cause all this once again yeah (laughs) absolutely and i i'm thinking of i forget the terminology for it but it's one of the the pillars that upholds institutional racism is centering white comfort and i think that's what's been done here because it's charles who's the king of the united kingdom you know in his speech he goes on um, well, yeah, yeah. But because yeah. we're pinning it on Charles as a person, I think he wants to maintain his loving grandpa image. Like, yes. there's this, this I coddling. The black choir, you guys. <laughs> yeah, there's this coddling of the subject matter that is really icky to me because he goes on, none yes. of us can, none of this can change the past, talking about the things he's going to do on the visit. <laughs> but by addressing our, our history with honesty and openness, we can perhaps demonstrate the strength of our friendship today. And in so doing, I hope we can continue to build an ever closer bond for the years ahead. By by addressing our history with honesty and openness, did we do that here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so he's, he's saying none of this can change the past, which is a common talking point when we ask for apologies and reparations. Yeah. Is Well, no one alive did these things. Right, <laughs> but... But the system still exists. But the person yeah, is still in power who benefits from this. From right. Exactly. Like, come on. So it's a sticking point that there's no easy answer to. There's Charles is not going to solve it himself. That's correct. But is he still part of the problem? Maybe. Um, so the, the itinerary of the visit included a few things that speak to this history, um, including a tour of a, quote, new museum dedicated to Kenya's history. We just left it at that in the, pre- the press release. Um, he laid a wreath at the tomb of the unknown warrior at Uhuru Gardens, which this is where Camilla waited in the car. I have not seen any reporting on this, which is so fascinating. If it was Megan, hello, we would have a national oh inquiry God. by now. Um, yes. Okay. So I don't care if Camilla was feeling tired, if she's never said she has osteoporosis, but the amount of osteoporosis causes she takes on leads me to believe that she might. Was she hurting? I don't know. But why would you sit in the car while your husband is doing something as important as that? I don't know. And this is where, like, I know, like, I've said before, like, with medical records, it's not our business. But these are the times I think actually it is our business. Because, again, you guys are... um, This is the monarch and his wife. Technically. Exactly. They're public servants. This kind of information actually can and should be public knowledge. And it's like times like this, like you're not doing your job. Why? Oh, okay. That's understandable. You know, but like, hey, they don't want to tell us. So the meme can live on. (laughs) (laughs) She looked sinister in that car, is all I'm gonna say. Um, Yeah. So a lot of the onus for these these recognitions of history do fall on Charles because of that. And I don't know if that was intentional by Camilla sitting in the car or what. Um, he also visited the site of the Declaration of Kenya's Independence in 1963, yeah. celebrating the independence, but also not really recognizing, I don't think, verbally <laughs> who it was from. But yes. then yeah. we got 
we got one really interesting interaction, which I sent this to you because I was fascinated by it. I didn't see it. I saw that Charles had met possibly the oldest living person that who was 117 years old, but I didn't see the context mm-hmm. fully fleshed out until I read this article from CNN. Max Foster, I think, is a great analyst. He was one of the authors on this piece. I find the analysis here a little questionable, but the things he's pointing oh. out are interesting. Um, oh, so, yeah, let's get into this part because yeah. my reaction was kind of a, Kind <laughs> of a bananas article. It was, yes. So Charles met <laughs> As a lead-in, and this is the lead-in in the article, which is, oh, I don't have the title of it. It's fine. Charles met a World War II veteran from Kenya who he threw his medals away, his medals of service. He threw them away in the 1950s because the Mau Mau resistance inside Kenya targeted anyone who had supported the British. So Charles, on this visit, but this man is 117 years old. Allegedly, he's sitting in a wheelchair. Charles presented him with a new set of military medals. He like he they put them together they they presented mm-hmm. them to this man and i think this was supposed to be uh, here the, max foster writes worlds are all about symbolism and this interaction spoke to everything the king and his aides were hoping to achieve on this trip if the old medals represented a legacy of colonialism and violence the new ones represent a redefined relationship between two independent states as so, always <laughs> enter kenya and the and the lanta housewives doing who said that who mm-hmm. said that? Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, Max, did you and the right royal aides and the white Charles say this? Because like, did you talk to anyone on the ground? Did you mm-hmm. talk to the people around him? Did you maybe talk to people who fought during the resistance? I don't know. It's just like, who is saying this? Who is saying those medals represent that? I'm sorry. Right. I just really was like, mm, okay. <laughs> I find it interesting too. Like he can do that gesture when it comes to somebody who felt targeted because he loved the British or supported the British interests, right? During exactly. World War II. Exactly. Later that oh. afternoon, the article goes on, Charles gathered representatives of those who fought the British, fought against the British in Kenya during their struggle for statehood. It was a private meeting and no media were allowed to observe. But they talked to a woman named Evelyn Kamathi, whose father, Deden or Deden, led the resistance and was executed by the British. She revealed to CNN that she had told Charles that she wanted help finding her father's body, which is missing, and that her family wanted their land back. The analysts at CNN write, as a constitutional monarch, there's little the king can do, and these demands are matters for his government. However, he can listen and make sure people like Evelyn are heard at the highest levels. That's the power of the monarchy. It can elevate issues and arguments, even if it can't be seen to influence them. Can I go off for a second? Sure. I'm so heated again. Go. Oh my gosh. Okay. So for one, thank you for pointing out the fact too with that first paragraph with how like redefining the relationship with the medals. It is very much describing to us of like he's rewarding this man who fought for the British as a good thing and then being victimized by these like angry rebellion group who wanted independence. That narrative is very pointed and it is there for a reason and it's really fucking disgusting. Frankly, yeah. it's really disgusting. Yeah. They, You know what they're doing there and just sickening. It makes my blood boil. Especially Especially then to meet with Evelyn, whose father helped lead this resistance and was murdered because of it, and whose body is still missing to this day because of the British soldiers. 
sickening to put that narrative out and then pretend like you care and meet with her. But most of all, and I will put this on Charles and the monarchy and the British government, because I'm sure they are signing off on this narrative that Max Foster and the other author of the CNN mm-hmm. article, and we will see with another one, I know you're going to bring up Vanity Fair, that they're mm-hmm. pushing, which is that, see, this is the beauty of the monarch. He can listen right. to these people, but do nothing about it. Because that's what's ha- that's what they're saying, but they're making it sound pretty. You know what I mean? Like, what is the point of her telling Charles all of this if he can't do anything about it? Like, yeah. We don't want to just be heard for not like, what's the point of talking until we're blue in the face if nothing is going to happen? Like, that's not fun. And it's so much someone (laughs) of extreme privilege to be able to act like they are a saint for listening when they know damn Mm -hmm. well they ain't going to do shit about it. And the fact, too, that that was behind closed doors, I think, says a lot. I don't think they wanted another Jamaica moment. Correct. We're moving on. (laughs) So we're like, we're going to keep this private. I don't want her saying out loud on film, return my dad's body because your government killed him. And I know the British government wouldn't have want that on record in film too. And that's why I'm saying this is also the British government. I'm sure they're right behind Charles. And for once they're all agreeing on something. We don't want to put you in the position where how we colonize and murder people is being spread in a, you know, a 10 minute clip all over the news. Like when William and Kate were told we're going our separate ways by the jamaican right but there were a lot of photos of him handing these medals to this man who had fought in world war ii you know so it's so interesting (sighs) what causes we suddenly can take action on and we suddenly Mm -hmm. can solve for people Um, exactly there's always going to be a divide there you guys mm-hmm. notice that it's always the charming things we can take action when i can yeah. hand out medals when i can find the black choir for the wedding you know those kind of things we, we can, can and we can I be can... political when it's announcing yes. a grant for childhood education but mm-hmm. we can't be political when it comes for like actually reforming the system you know exactly when we're telling the government hey to stop taking poaching money we can be political there but i can't be political by telling the government hey return this woman's land we can be political when it comes to telling Africans to stop overpopulating because the, the environment is suffering. Can we go there because Earthshot's in our next episode? Get him. Get him, Man. Amanda. Man, oh day. <laughs> yes. The, anal- the analysts of this CNN article and across the board, which I have another example, were giving credit to Charles oh, no. because this quote, this discussion was one example of following through on a promise, his stated goal to, quote, deepen his own understanding of these wrongs. They write, Charles' approach of confronting challenging chapters in Britain's history is a strategy we've seen from the new monarch in recent months. They don't say it's a good strategy, just it's a strategy. (laughs) Um, That's true. So let me read from the article again. King Charles' moves are a progression from the way his mother operated, which is true. Queen Elizabeth never in a million years would have touched these issues or she would have been insulated from them by everyone just thinking Mm -hmm. this is a 96-year-old woman and we don't need to bother her with this. Because I think she had some baked in privilege and baked in... There was discomfort about bringing these things up with her because she was alive when they were happening and she was reigning when they were Mm -hmm. happening. So I think of Princess Anne. I think mm -hmm. Princess Anne, I'm like, that was probably Queen Elizabeth, but even worse. You know, Mm -hmm. when she like talks about slavery and stuff. And she's like, well, there's still slavery today. (laughs) Yeah, it's uncomfy. What? It's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so they go on, while Queen Elizabeth II always opted for impartiality and avoided the most sensitive political issues, Charles has shown no fear about wading into them while still finding a way to maintain a neutral position. <laughs> Many, like Evelyn, will say that the struggle continues and carry on demanding formal apologies and reparations. But the response from people he meets and local politicians to Charles' actions on these trips would suggest that he is helping with some of the healing of these deep historical wounds. He may not be a political figure, but he is a symbolic one. The, quote, listening king may be giving the UK a more sensitive brand. Do you agree? I wonder if William and him are in a competition for corny titles right now, because we have listening king and then we have, like, social leadership. Like, shut up. Like, what? Yeah. Like, what is happening right now? And the truly... I, I just, the way they are dismissing Evelyn and people who think like her, again, yes. so insidious. And exactly yes. why she didn't get a photograph. Because, oh yeah, she's going to keep saying apologize, blah, blah, blah. But hey, ignore her. These people were happy to see Charles. Absolutely. These politicians are happy to see him. And again, you guys, African, unfortunately, African government is corrupt many african governments yeah. can be up i'm not gonna say all obviously because there's so many different countries in there but kenya is absolutely one of them quick little side note i'm mm. sure you guys have heard of mr beast if you have children or whatever but he just built like i guess all these what do you call them water he wells. built no wells thank you he built wells like a hundred <laughs> of them in kenya and that went viral and a bunch of people on kenyan t- twitter have been tweeting about how like wow this is a shame this guy can be- build a hundred wells in a month but our government just embezzles the money yeah and, again a representation of kind of what's going on so it's also one thing also know about also well sorry one thing <laughs> starting over one thing that is also know that oftentimes these politicians like to embezzle money and then have offshore accounts, which Mm -hmm. can be in Europe. Mm -hmm. And they oftentimes too really love European beauty of standards, that way of living, you know, that's something they love. So they love the Royal family. That's something they connect to and think is just like the epitome of class. So it's not shocking that they love Charles. It's not shocking that this older generation loves the royal family but it gets a lot different when you get to the younger generations or you get to the older generations that didn't fight for the british army but they fought it for the resistance mm-hmm. so when they dismiss evelyn like that and they're just trying to pretend like hey but more people are happy about him than not it's not accurate it's very sinister and it's leaving out so much important context to why there yes. can be such a different reaction to him from the same exact people in the same country. Yes. Yeah. And that reminds me, like, before this trip even kicked off, I saw some interviews from Kenyan media of people on the street just asking if they were excited. And they said, no, it's nice that he's coming (laughs) to visit. But what is this going to do for us, basically? Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, And I see a lot of people like, we're a hospitable country. So, of course, we'll greet anyone who comes. But okay. Like, that's a lot of what it is. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Have a fun vacation. I don't know. Um, And that brings us back to the issue of like, who are these trips for? And who gets to call them a success or a failure? So (laughs) an article that Alex sent me right after from Vanity Fair, of all places, deemed the Kenya trip a resounding success. And so 
They also give us a little bit of food for thought here about the goals of a state visit. Once again, they note, interestingly, that the trip was at the request of the British government, which is interesting to me who has read the royal family's website, because in their announcement of the visit, the royal family, where is it? The royal family said, um, the visit is at the invitation of President Ruto. So who, who... is it formalities that I'm just thinking too much about? Is it the British royal family saying, hey, we're coming to Kenya, give us an invitation? Is that what happened? I just find that so fascinating. Well, um, it's too, because we're often told that like, oh, well, countries ask for them to come on these tours. So I don't know why you're complaining. And I think the countries have to ask for them. That. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, now you're kind of maybe revealing that they have to formally ask, but mm-hmm. they can be kind of like hint, hint. By yeah. the British yeah, yeah, government. Yeah. Like right. it's time to I think do this. that might be I think that might be what happened. Yeah. Vanity Fair, I'm not gonna read through all the stuff that they highlighted again, but they talk about the things that went on and they say that the visit was seen as instrumental in developing developing the already close relationship between Britain and the Commonwealth country and its lucrative multi-million pound trade partnership. <laughs> oh, like we said, lots of things all, going yeah. on. The politics of it all, sure, they might have been a resounding success. But I don't know. The social politics weren't though. That yeah, like that's the thing. Right. Because I think too this this is really shocking that this about this article coming out because this was after it would have been exposed by a Kenyan journalist that yes. the Kenyan journalists were literally like discriminated against mm-hmm. and that there was he was saying at one point a physical almost altercation with one of the British diplomats and a Kenyan journalist. That's like well-known and high ranking in the media and Kenyan media. And that's what I mean when we talk about who gets to call this a success, right? Western media is saying it was a success, but this um, (laughs) award-winning African journalist is how he introduces himself on the platform to formerly known as Twitter. He says multiple Kenyan-based journalists raised concerns about racial undertones during the state visit. They felt mistreated and degraded in their own country. (laughs) Some of the things he's citing, we don't have to go through the whole Twitter thread, but he cited that Royal Rota reporters who came with the palace on this trip, which if you didn't know, a state visit is not just the king and queen. It's not just Will and Kate going to these countries. They come with their whole staff. They come with photographers. They come with journalists. They fill up a plane. Yes. So reporters on the ground in Kenya talked about there were separate buses for UK media and local media. So they felt like there was the physical segregation for like the royal editors, correspondents from UK and for journalists in Kenya which is so interesting. And because me and you had kind of talked about this and when we're messaging one another, it points to how, even if they personally aren't being racist, how they participate in systemic racism because Mm -hmm. the Royal bead is all white, except for Omid and Nika. Those are Mm -hmm. the only two people of color on there and they are not Mm -hmm. black. So they are in a country that's prominently black. So when that happens, when they do engagements, any Royals, the Royal bead is the one who gets first priority, Mm -hmm. which means it's going to mostly be white people. And we saw these issues again in 2021 when William and Kate returned from the Jamaica tour and did that wind rush dash unveiling because people Mm -hmm. pointed out like, wait a minute, who was, I am forgetting her name, but I think she works for the guardian. 
And she is the one that pointed out that all of the Black, you know, media outlets were invited to this statue unveiling. But last minute, William mm-hmm. and Kate decided they were going to go, planned to go. They made it official. And then suddenly all of those reporters were told, sorry, you can't come because the Royal yeah. Bee is coming and they're now getting your passes. So yes. that means there was no Black journalist covering that. And mm-hmm. that is how they participate in systemic racism when it comes to the media. Right. It's like, it's always going to be white folks and they're going to push the black folks out. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, and I think to you guys, this is why it's important too when you hear about how this like Kenyan diplomat said this and that, see who that is. See if it's a British one or an American one, or if it's someone for Kenya. Because mm-hmm. they call out a diplomatic, a UK diplomatic um, person who helped set up this vi- um, visit. Right. And from what I'm seeing, it is, I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to say her name. Mm-hmm. But it is a white woman. Mm-hmm. And she seemed to cause a lot of issues. And a lot of them are claiming it was racism, that she was aggressive yes. towards the <laughs> Black reporters, that she was constantly trying to discriminate against them and make sure they were far away from Charles and mm-hmm. Camilla. And oftentimes giving the UK royal reporters, like, first, like, they get to be up front. Yeah. More so. Yeah, the the Twitter thread says, Witnesses claim that the diplomat engaged in a physical altercation with the Kenyan envoy who played a part in making this visit a success, seemingly over his placement, which she believed was obstructing coverage of the royal visit. So, again, like, prioritizing the comfort and access of visitors to the country over people who helped to, to make the visit happen, Right of the people who are hosting you. So it's just, it's icky. So there's a lot of tensions going on. Yeah. But Western media is telling us it was a total success. (laughs) So let's ignore all that, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So who is this a success for is our question Uh, at the end of the day. I had another one that I bookmarked somewhere. Wait, I can't find it. And what's sad is that this will live on in Western media and Royal Minds as a successful tour, mm-hmm. even though I would say it's not. And this way I would say it's so important to look at local media. I don't care what Royal it is. Look mm-hmm. at the local media. They will tell you more, even if they're saying, yeah, people were happy. They'll also tell you the other side of it. I don't know. They just have a lot less bias. And again, like we've talked about the murky waters going mm-hmm. over the byline times and byline times investigation that there's a reason for the royal beat to always want to make these things sound positive, even if they're not. Because yes. they're royalists and they want these people to be successful. And also, too, let's be real. The royal beat is racist. Okay? Mm-hmm. They are not the type of people. They're the type of people who would say, I didn't enslave you. Charles didn't enslave you. So why does he have to apologize? Like, get yeah. over it, you guys. It was you know, a hundred years ago, like these are those type of people. So even personally, their own politics and their own morals would not align with these people who want reparations and apologies too. So it's just like no way there's going to be fair coverage on these topics. Right. And there's also a bit of a a sense of moving the goalposts too, when it comes to talking about what's a success and what's not. Because we mentioned earlier that Charles is getting praised for just listening. The Vanity Fair article writes, The tour's success will be a relief to palace aides and government officials following mixed responses to previous royal tours to the Caribbean carried carried out by Prince William and Kate Middleton and Prince Edward, Duke of Edinburgh, and Sophie, Duchess of Edinburgh. I find it interesting that we're acknowledging Edward and Sophie here. That's fascinating to me. But their tours were not great either. 
They write, according to one royal insider, there is a sense of relief that this went so well and a feeling that the king and queen have hit the right notes. So internally at the palace, they also think that this was a success. Next year, we will see them carrying out a more extensive tour of the Commonwealth, possibly to Australia and New Zealand, which will be very fun to cover. And they cite the fact that Kenya has been such a success bodes well. Charles and Camilla are Mm. said to be delighted with how the tour went and pleased to have had the opportunity to spotlight causes they champion at home and around the world. I don't know (laughs) if you have too much faith in people to realize it was a disaster and they just don't want to admit it, but I truly hope someone knows it wasn't that. And I'm predicting now they will be staying away from predominantly Black countries for a long time. I mean, we'll talk about the next yeah, mm-hmm. the next episode, but I know I've told you personally, I think there is a reason why more than just what the Philippines have to offer in terms of, you know, being equal friendly and stuff, of why William went that way to an oh, Asian you mean- country and why I think Singapore continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you, Singapore. <laughs> and why they will continue to go in that direction because places like Singapore are historically very royalist and love mm-hmm. the British royal family. And yeah, I think they know by now they're going to have a lot more issues in Black countries asking yeah. for apologies and reparations, and we won't really be seeing them visit those countries. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's... Yeah, I'm it, sure it, a lot it comes back Canada, to, <laughs> Well, for sure, it comes back to what you are looking to highlight, what you're looking to underline, which on this trip were, hey, look at Charles. He can, he can listen to these moments. Even mm-hmm. though he can't do anything, this is setting him apart from his mother. We're now, yeah. we're actually acknowledging that these controversies exist. We're not really trying to solve them, but we're trying to like not sweep them under the rug anymore. So again, the bar is mm-hmm. on the floor. The so in floor. that <laughs> in that way, they've moved the goalposts to a place that, yeah, Charles is woke compared to Queen Elizabeth II, right? So cute. This is adorable. But I mean, that woman's thing. barely 10 feet under and they're just throwing her under the bus. Now. <laughs> I mean, are we gonna? The person who wrote, who Do said it. some of that stuff in the Vanity Fair article was Ed Owens, who is the historian and the author of the book After Elizabeth, which Omid Scobie has a book coming out called Endgame, which is about where the royal family goes from here after Elizabeth. This is another one if you're interested in two of those kind of books. After Elizabeth is already out. Pretty good, actually, I think. Pretty comprehensive. He's the one who notes, this wasn't the formal apology some had hoped for, but then again, everything the king says in these moments is essentially adhering to UK government foreign policy. Yeah. So being able to put those caveats in for Charles when we need to is fascinating. Mm -hmm. One other thing, which maybe takes us into the point where we're going to stop this episode and what we're going to pick up next episode, which is Earthshot and environmentalism. Charles actually used the Kenya trip in an interesting way for his climate change advocacy for his environmentalism work. Um, During the Kenya trip, so they were on this trip, Buckingham Palace announced that Charles will attend the opening summer su- that the opening ceremony of the World Climate Action Summit at COP28 in December. He didn't go to COP27, I think, because Liz Truss didn't want him there. Was that correct? Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah, because he was announced to go, and then she told him no, and then he had announced he wasn't going. Yeah, there. so he's going now <laughs> to the the next one. Yep. Um, COP, if you didn't know, it's an annual meeting of world leaders related to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. It's the COP21 mm. summit, um, which was in 2015, that gave us the Paris Agreement. So there is, you know, there is meat here. 
Interestingly, I didn't yeah. realize this. I didn't put these dots together. Charles delivered the opening address at that, that summit in 2015, where we got the Paris Agreement. Um, so this is a big yeah, part of see, his of his package as mm-hmm. king, I guess. Also, yeah, laying groundwork too. When we, I am going to absolutely shit on William for some of the statements he made during mm-hmm. <laughs> this interview mm-hmm. he did, because I will just leave off saying now. William would say what he wants. And obviously we said a lot about Charles here, but I will give that man one thing before yeah. even Megan came along and put a name to it. He has been doing measured impact with yes. his work for since he was literally in his twenties. Okay. You guys yeah. and the environment stuff is one of them. You want to talk about the times when actually Charles was ahead of his time. and was unfortunately getting shit on for that. Mm-hmm. It's that point right there. 2015 talking about the environment, pushing the government to make legislation it was very yes. unpopular then and he did yes. those things and it has a positive effect like well an he's act, okay it's not just i i love that he didn't give it up when he became king because he's going yeah. to quote launch the inaugurable inaugurable the inaugural cop 28 business and philanthropy climate forum which will convene business finance and philanthropy leaders alongside world leaders to accelerate climate and nature solutions and drive delivery and results first of all doesn't that sound like the Earthshot initiative <laughs> yes, delivering that's results maybe um, that's why william shaded his daddy <laughs> Maybe, but I find it so interesting that this was all announced against the backdrop of the Kenya trip. He actually Mm -hmm. worked the COP28 announcement into a speech at the United Nations office in Nairobi, which apparently is the only UN headquarters in a Commonwealth nation, which is interesting. Wow. Uh, Yeah, glossing over that. Charles said... (laughs) Charles said there, as we look ahead to COP28 in another month's time, we must remember what President Ruto said at the Africa Climate Summit. We go far when we go together. So all of this, to me, is underscoring that when Buckingham Palace wants to make things connect and wants to make things hit home, they will do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If they wanted to, they would. It was very good planning. Yes. So well orchestrated. And I think, too a good foresight of like hey there's probably is going to be bumps during this trip so Mm -hmm. let's make sure we pack in some announcements you know which is like this one and also at the very end immediately like before they had barely left kenya rolling out to the stories about his birthdays coming up and this poor father trying to talk to his son harry who is obviously his favorite and not william (laughs) you know they planned they planned i'll give them that the pr Those spin doctors were spitting and they spun well. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. And like when I talk about things aren't black and white, you know, there are so many different angles from which you have to look at the royal family. And this is one of them. Like they can be doing really good work in one area and really be Mm -hmm. falling short in another. And it just so happens that addressing their own racial history is one area that they fall short in. Exactly. They're always going to remove themselves from the issue, whether mm -hmm. it's the racism or like the environmentalism. Ignore my private jets because obviously Charles has a huge footprint and he could do more to make it smaller, but he doesn't, but he also does really good work. It's kind of, you know, the same thing with William. His work isn't as good, Mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, if you think about it, the funny thing is the queen was probably the most environmental friendly one out of all of them, but she doesn't give a shit about the environment. She just like no. taking the train and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hey, she, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, Rich people, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah, I don't know. Just if I'm going to leave you anything from this segment, 
It's literally just remember that there are so many angles from which you can approach an issue. These unilateral statements of this is good or this is bad do not help us in understanding and picking apart these really, really weighty conversations. Um, I, I yes. bookmarked it was it was a deranger tweet, but I bookmarked it because <laughs> it starts out no matter how trolls on Twitter or tabloids try to publish false information, the king and queen are loved by the people. This was a successful and joyful state visit. And it's like, okay, you can say whatever you want. You can say that it's I, fine. It doesn't yeah. make the information presented that d- you don't agree with false mm-hmm. and and also that's what too, i want like, this to wasn't about the british people yeah like mm-hmm. that trip was about the kenyans it's not about them so also stop centering these european people and their feelings and things yeah. that actually like that's not the fucking priority it's just like <laughs> <laughs> like this is the yeah. issue <laughs> yeah but yeah. you guys this was a really good episode. I mean, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to I, it. No. <laughs> I know, right? I do love it. I like love it. And it was really great info dumping on you guys. And I hope you enjoyed it. Okay. Pinkies up. Catch us on Pinkies Lady Audacity. Up. You can catch Amanda, a matter of fact, on her Instagram and her TikTok. And of mm-hmm. course, her Substack, The Fascinator, which is amazing. You know, I'm on Duchess M.M. Grace for my, you know, more personal IG, but I'm always manning Lady Audacity or trying to. And thank you guys for being here with us. Pinkies up and fight the power. Amen. (laughs) Fight the power. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 